All right, we're live. Uh, welcome to the third episode of uh, my Management 300 podcast. Um, I'm here actually with uh, Professor Jeremy Brees. Um, we're going to talk about you know the, the entirety of, of bad leadership um, and kind of differentiating ineffective versus unethical leadership. Um, we're going to talk through kind of the examples of Juan Antonio Samaranch, Mary Meeker, Marion Barry, Al Dunlap, uh, William Aramoni, Bill Clinton, Radovan Karadizic, is that how you say it? You know, I don't really, I don't even. <laughs> I, I, every time I read it, was, it was always off and on. I, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, we'll, we'll kind of mention um, incompetent leadership, callous leadership, rigid, corrupt, intemperate, insular, evil. Um, those are kind of the, the main points of the book, but probably won't get through all of them. Um, but we're just going to have a, a conversation here and just kind of see how things flow. And I'll let Jeremy introduce himself on here. Hey, everybody. My name is Jeremy Brees. I am a management professor at Northern Arizona University. Been here for four years. And uh, yeah, I'm teaching Matt a broad management class. I just wanted to introduce uh, the concept of what makes great managers and leaders great and what makes bad leaders bad. And we're focusing right now on the, the latter. All right. So uh, this was kind of a tie back to the first episode, the first two episodes, really, of this podcast. Um, in First Break, All the Rules, there's this notion that uh, Marcus Buckingham points out that you really can't learn a whole lot by studying failure. You know, you can learn more about perfection by studying perfection. And I guess my question is, is that's kind of a contrary point to, to our, our most recent book, Bad Leadership, where um, Barbara Kellerman talks about, I mean, the entire point of the, of the book is to um, be, study as much as possible about bad leadership and the value of that. So kind of what are your thoughts on that? You know, yeah, Matt introduced this question to me before the podcast, and I was kind of stumped. Um, I, I think in First Break All the Rules, when it comes to studying success versus studying failure, yeah, I think they, they're two different things. And when it comes to bad leadership, I, I think Barbara really does a great job of articulating here are the key factors, you know, the, the ineffective type, the unethical type. Uh, out of several books that I reviewed looking at bad leadership, I, I think she did the I think she did the best at actually describing here's what makes bad leaders bad. And, 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 and I, I, I don't think looking at bad leadership and good leadership, I don't, I don't see them as opposites. I see them as different. Right. And uh, I think in First Break All the Rules, um, Buckingham basically said, you know, you, you can't, you, you don't know success by looking at failure. And I think the, the same also may be true for well, I don't know. I mean, is bad and good the opposite? Right, right. And yeah, I mean, it's a good, it's a great question, Matt. And I'm 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 a little stumped by it. Uh, I guess my my only, I guess my only response would be, bad leadership is different than good leadership, and the whole reason I, I'm having I'm having my class read this book is because. So many times throughout my career, I've just heard people say they're bad, bad leader. Okay, great. What does that mean? It, yeah. there, there's no typology. There, like, I, want, I want people to be able to put their finger on, oh, here's how they're bad. Being able to describe and articulate why they're bad, how they're bad. 
And I think that'll help you and everyone else as they progress out into their professional lives. Um, you're going to be experiencing bad leaders. Yeah. yeah. And being able to understand why and how I think is important. It, yeah. it, it won't necessarily point you in the right direction of how to be a great leader. Cause if you compare the two books, yeah, they're very different. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> and at least tactic, uh, like the approach of, of each book. Yeah. Yeah. The tactics are just so different between bad leaders and good leaders. Yeah. It's just, th- there's, yeah, it's a, it's a big question. Yeah. <clears throat> it is kind of an all encompassing question. That's kind of why I wanted to start it off and just see where it took us. But, yeah. What are your thoughts? I mean, let me throw the question back at you. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I think I think we study bad leadership in this case. It's like, I was thinking about this, and I wrote about this in my Exploding Thought assignment, but um, there's so much you can learn by uh, just seeing and not emulating things. Like, you can learn so much by... Like one of my favorite athletes, mm. Michael Jordan, he was like talking about this old interview and he talked about how he doesn't shoot threes. So it's like, he was like, I don't want to, I don't want to be good at shooting threes because it's going to change my entire game. Right. It's going to change the way that I drive. It's going to change the way that I dunk. It's like that kind of thing. So I was just thinking, I was kind of relating it back to like, why, why would you, in, in the case of a bad leader, it's like, you have to learn. And she talks about this in chapter 12, but it's like, you have to learn the things that you shouldn't do. Like, That's true. Like, like being, um, for example, she talked about uh, being tenured like too long, right? Like you would think that a seasoned CEO would be more valuable and, and um, maybe more successful than somebody who isn't. But in her case, she's saying like, you can't be in a leadership role for so long that you become complacent or whatever. So it's like, I think there's a lot you can learn from emulating, like, you see others do something. Like, you could see Steph Curry shooting threes, but you're like, I don't need to do that in order to be successful. So, Does this go back to first break all the rules when it's kind of like, where are your unique talents? Where, what are your strengths? Yeah. And, and just capitalize on those. Don't, don't, try, to, don't try to be everything. Yeah. Just be the best, select a bit of you that, that makes you you. Right. Well, and that's what the whole central piece to that book is, is being made to, or, and it, the objective of a leader is to make others feel understood. Um, right. But, yeah, no, that was kind of my big takeaway, especially reading chapters 11 and 12. It was like starting to really close everything up on why. Um, and, and that's why I mentioned what I mentioned in class about going to that specifically as like the, ta- the big takeaway. Yeah. Um, but I, I really think, though, I think as in, in looking at this thing all-encompassing and why we study bad leadership, I, I think what Barbara Kellerman is doing is a pretty noble thing. And that's For what sure. you mentioned. But um, I think there's, I think, uh, yeah, I, I, I just think it's valuable and that you can learn to, to do the things that you shouldn't be doing. Mm. But, yeah. Yeah, if, if that's any kind of answer to that question, but it was, was kind of all over the board. But <laughs> So this is my next one, and this is the thing that I, I just feel like I'm on to something here when okay. I say this, but I really feel like corruption at its core can be traced to convenience. So the, the reason that people choose to be specifically, I'd say, I'd say unethical, is because it's convenient, not because of 
some moral. It doesn't. It doesn't have a lot going for it. Yeah. But well, I mean, you could certainly enrich yourself and and benefit greatly from it. And and I love the point that you made in class that, like, it, it was kind. Of, it kind of shocked me. I was like, oh my god, that is such a, a that's such a great point. And I never really thought about it from that perspective. Is you know, there's the you know working hard, putting in your hours, paying your dues. And and if you take that route, there's still no sure chance that you're gonna get to success. And it certainly isn't convenient. It takes decades, yeah. generally speaking. And and I I just that that was that thought really kind of, that'll stick with me. That being corrupt, being bad in some way, shape, or form is rewarded because it, it, it's easier. Yeah, it's and the easier thing to do. Yeah. yeah. But that word, convenient, we tend to think of convenient in positive ways, like TV dinners are convenient, fast food is convenient, ATMs are convenient. You just don't think about hearing about leadership is bad leadership, specifically is convenient. Yeah, yeah. But I love that, I love that idea, and, and I, I agree with it completely. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, that would be one... It's the straightest path, right? Right, yeah. And that would be one main pillar, I'd say, as to, like, why certain leaders act in general, even. Like, even if, even yeah. looking at the good things that they do, certain managers I've worked for personally, I could tell it was the more convenient... Like, this is kind of a funny example, but I put on my on my availability when I was working for a retail store that I was available all day, every day for all seven days of the week. But knowingly understanding that I could like not, I wouldn't have to work every single day of every single hour. And I got scheduled for Christmas, New Year's, and <laughs> uh, Christmas Eve, New That'll Year's, show and you. New Year's Day. That'll show you. And I was uh, immediately, I, I put it together. I'm like, yeah, this is just convenient for her because if she would, if she had realized, like, I don't think, I genuinely don't think my boss realized that she did that, and I did mention it to her, and she altered my schedule. But I think it was one of those deals where it was convenient for her to just be like, yeah, uh, Matt's available all the time, every yeah. single day. He doesn't even have a family, so yeah, I was just, I was. Just, yeah, that was a great, it's a funny yeah. example. Yeah. So that was kind of my thinking on that, but. So I'll, I'll kind of bring it to the next thing here. Um, so just relating to that in, in that example, why do followers, like why do we just put up with that? Is that because of, and this is what I said, I said like is this convenience, is this obligation, is this duty, is this rewards? Like why, why is that? All the above. Yeah. You know, it, <laughs> you know I've studied human behavior for, 12 years now in certain concentrated areas, but I, I feel like one of the things I've taken away is there, there's, there's very, very few human behavior that can be explained with one factor, two factors, even 10 factors. But I think all the points that you made, uh, the points that you just stated, yeah, the, I mean, we enrich ourselves. Humans, God, we just, we're so primitive in this respect. Whatever's good for me, I will generally, if it's not ludicrous or completely immoral or unethical, we, we have a way of justifying things. And if it enriches me, if it helps my career, if it helps my bottom line, if it helps my relationship with my boss, if it, if it 
helps my career. I'm willing, like people are willing to put up with a lot. I mean, you know, I, I hate, I really hate to compare this to like domestic abuse, but you, you, this is, this is how my brain works. We tend to think of why do men and women stay with abusive partners? And I mean, we could, the obvious answer is love, it's dependence, it's financial security, but then, I mean, can you make all those same points about why do you stay with an employer? Why do you stay with an abusive boss, corrupt boss, or rigid boss? It's, you know, it, it comes down to power dynamics. Do I see this as beneficial for me in the long run? Do I get some benefit from it now? I, I just... So in a word, like self-interest. That's exactly yeah. true. Yeah. Yes, self-interest. We are... We like to think that we're all mature, you know, top of the food chain, but I, I you know, there, there's a, a large portion of our brain that functions like, you know, fight or flight. Instinctively. Instinctively, yeah. yes, for sure. I, 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 I don't think that we're too, too far removed from animals. Right. We are, but, you know, you yeah. take my point. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I agree with that. I would say, I also think there's... Yeah, I think I think people follow bad leaders especially as well because they feel like they have no other choice, you know? Like I I feel like What do my, you mean? In my case in the handful of people that I've worked for, I was working there because I desperately needed money. Like when I was working and again, we've talked about the difference between a career job versus just a college job, but it was really like man, there's really no greater option. Like, at least I think about my first job, especially. My first job was absolutely horrible. Like, I wanted to quit every single day. And I think about... I can relate. I, I think about how... We all had those. Well, if I quit here, and then let's just say I could find another job, it's going to be at the Safeway meat department. Or <laughs> something even worse, you know? So that was like, that was my incentive always to stay. It wasn't really necessarily because I was working for, you know, my, I guess that it is self-interest, but it was, it was this lack of feeling like I could, you know, go somewhere else or move. But I think there's, I think that's a similar thing in, in corporate America. It's, it is, you know, people feel like they can't make the decision to jump to somewhere else rapidly, you know? Yeah. There are different factors that, that limit or restrict or allow mobility as you progress through, you know, the decades of your life. You know, I'm, I'm in my mid forties now. And it's interesting to like, when you say these things, I'm like, yeah, get it. Totally. Remember, you know, my first job was at Burger King and, and boy, I gave up my burger flipping job at Burger King so that I could stack di uh, stock diapers at the Kmart, which yeah, is right yeah. next door. Yeah, yeah. And, and I, yeah, I, I totally relate to money primary yeah. factor as you as i have evolved your life gets messy and complex you have spouses uh, we don't technically well technically we don't have kids um but i can i can project out like if i had kids mortgage you know if i'm embedded in a certain uh city you know i have friends i have you know if you're religious you have religious associations and friends and you know that just embeds you and it, it, oh my gosh it's so disruptive to think that one bad decision at work could lead to all of that ending uh chaos uncertainty yeah 
And, and you know, as, as you move through the decades of your life, more, different things become way more important than money, like stability. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, money's always there. But, um, yeah, I, geez, what was the original question? Basically, just why, why do people follow that lead? Yeah, you know, I, I, I think it's out of self-interest. Uh, I, I, I think, I mean, look at the most recent example where how many whistleblowers have we seen in the last five years, three years, critical key people coming out of Theranos, out of Facebook, out of, you know, Amazon warehouses, basically, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, yeah. with viral videos, blowing the lid on, hey, this is, these are the working conditions, here's a video of it, and, or, mm-hmm. hey, Facebook actually knew, sorry, yeah, Facebook actually knew, so can, you know, that this, this whistleblower, allegedly, yeah. allegedly yeah. that uh, Facebook knew that the negative impact that Instagram has on young women, uh, body image, uh, self-esteem, and, and, you know, yet they, they do sit on it. Like, if you, if you just look at any whistleblowers and how they're treated, how they're demonized, how they're, I mean, these companies, they're billion-dollar companies, and they have almost seemingly endless resources. Who, who wants to compete with that? With yeah. differing messages, who do you think is going to win and lose? Right. I think people are doing that mental calculation and saying, you know, I'm, I'm kind of bringing this back to Matt. If, if you have a bad leader and you're a follower, why don't you stand up to them? Well, there's just, let me count the ways that, that are institutionalized, that are in our culture, that are in our families, that it just, I almost feel like the systems and structures in place make it so difficult to do so. So that goes back to, um, that kind of goes back to the the example of Theranos. And you say, like, you know, collectively, I'd say our class was starting to realize that the environment that, I forget her name, Elizabeth. Elizabeth Holmes. Elizabeth Holmes was in was probably more of the reason why she was such a bad leader. So, like. Yeah. Is that kind of a is that kind of a chicken or the egg type of example, right? No, that's a great yeah, chicken or the egg. And yeah. and, and in class we've repeatedly talked about the, you know, kind of the web of leadership. You have the leader, the followers, the context, and you know, how how do you how do you talk about context that's you know, millions of factors that tiny and big that contribute to who someone is and why they make the decisions they make and you know, it's you know, I, I think of a funny. Uh, uh, I, I love watching comedians, and um, I'm a huge com- uh, comedian or comedy fan. Yeah. Yeah, uh, and Bill Burr, he certainly uh, he likes to he likes to say controversial things. Uh, I love his comedy, and uh, you know he talked. I don't. I don't want to go too deep down this down this example, but he talks about how who am I to judge great men, men that have accomplished, um, you know, four decades worth of political office and movies and, and stardom. And who am I to judge these people that have devoted their lives to a singular mission or objective, whether it be in business or politics or what have you? And, it, you know, I, there's just, there's too much. And, and we, as humans, we like to simplify. We like to distill stuff down to, oh, well, I think he's wrong, or I think she's right, or it, it's, it's too easy 
to, to look through a keyhole as opposed to the door to understand why bad leaders are bad. And some of it, we, part of it, I think, is we, we don't, it's like the elephant in the room. You know, who, who wants to admit that a culture like at Enron led, you know, Ken Lay and Jeffrey Schilling to... Andrew Fasto. Yeah. Andrew Fasto to, yeah. to, to, do, to do what they did. Like, I mean, that's... How many movies were made from, from that Enron debacle? It's, you know, there, it's, it's, it's a... It's a I apologize if I'm dominating this conversation, no, but no, no. I'm, I'm very interested. I, I, I just I, I find it fascinating how we and, and this is Jeremy's opinion that we we love to demonize people and say they're the bad apple because it's easy yeah. and it's satisfying. They're just a bad bad seed. But, but we don't want to do that for a culture. Is that what you're? Implying? Yeah, it's because it's so much harder to point to all the the tiny as well as big factors that contributed to a company culture, to the systematic, yeah, complex web that's there. It, it's we, we like we like short, concise, and easy, and nothing is that. Yeah, I'll also add that, and. My high school teachers are going to be so happy if they ever listen to this <laughs> podcast and what I'm about to say. But Great. I, I listened to this, or I read uh, Plato's Republic when I was in high school. And there was this parable of the perfect city. And that was like the entire thing was, this is a little bit off topic, but kind of the, the age-old problem that you're seeing here with corporate America is in order for there to be a perfect city, it needs to be run by perfect, what you would call like a philosopher king, Right. It needs uh, a group of people that were um, uniformly perfect, right? In order for a perfect city, so it was like you could never have. It was a, it was you could never achieve it, but you could. It, the pursuit of it was like the 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 greater goal of the book, right? So I think it's like the similar situation okay. with with a company or like say a company like Facebook, right? Like it's so big that it it would probably never be co- uh, completely ethical. Right. At this point. I mean, I don't know, but well, companies uh, are made up of people. Yeah. And, and we generally forget that, that, you know, every single human is fallible and, and, <laughs> you know, we just we're imperfect creatures and, and we, we, we tend to look up to like Steve Jobs and Elon Musk yeah, and Bill yeah. Gates and, and, and put them on a pedestal. But, you know, they're just human. Uh, doing the best they can. And that's true of most everybody that we're just doing the best we can trying to make the best decisions that we can to yeah. have you have you heard of the the we work i think i yeah. told this about yeah, N- not in a lot of depth but I, I i think i can speak about it yeah. just a little bit yeah. go on but i just i thought that was such an interesting and i'm gonna have to read this book but i think it's called the power of we or something like that um and this gal wrote a book of, kind of based off of the psychology of their ceo andrew newman mm-hmm. and the idea was like he was oddly in that example that you were talking about idolizing Steve Jobs. That's why I'm bringing this up. And it's the same you could say with Elizabeth Holmes, you know, wearing like the turtlenecks right. and trying to do that. But Andrew Newman was like obsessed with the portrayal of a perfect leader that he was like, he was so obsessed with like, for example, he wanted to be like this cool, hip, you know, millennial surfer guy. 
but also very, you know, keen on this company. Mm-hmm. And so he would like Photoshop pictures of him with surfboards and surfing in different exotic parts of the world that were like clearly Photoshop. <laughs> and so like, and then he would do all, he would go to these extreme lengths to kind of be this portrayal of like this young, bright entrepreneurial, you know, genius. Uh-huh. And his company was a massive failure because he was, you know, mis misleading investors and like did all these sorts of different things that were okay. mishandling this company. But I just think it, it, it's interesting that like in the Elon Musk example and like the, you know, the day and age that we live in and, you know, I know people that are obviously my age who just think Elon Musk can do no wrong. Like he's just so like the idea of him running these two companies and he's just this brilliant, you know, like being in it. We, we almost do forget that they are human, right? Like, it, it's just crazy to me that, that he was so obsessed with that image. Yeah. That it, like, totally got in the way of well, his entire thing. You know, it, in my experience, that you know, that's really important. I, I, I get it. I, I, I understand why he wanted to portray that and why he spent a lot of time, money, effort to, to present that. Because so much of public life, whether you're in industry or in politics – is, is about perception, managing perception. You know, Matt, really random tangent here. Uh, I had a student come to my office a couple of years ago, this before the pandemic, and uh, he and I would chat all the time. And, and, and somehow we got onto this topic of humanity and uh, perfection. Is it possible? And, and somehow this di- divul- I just kind of went down this path of music. I'm, I'm a huge Grateful Dead fan. I love oh. mu- like jam. John Mayer fan, so Dead yeah, I'm a, uh, yeah. yeah. So I, right. I love the Grateful Dead back in the 70s, in the early days of their band when th- there's this, I love listening to their live music. And, and when I was talking to the student, I said one of my favorite tracks is of uh, a song, I think it's Dancing in the Streets, where Bobby Weir like they, they're starting the song and he he goes he goes he he preemptively starts singing and no one else is singing and he's like oh i need to stop singing now and then like the next bar or two bars later they pick it up and to me i love that i love music that is authentic real uh live and and with mistakes and and wrong notes to me that's the beauty of business, the beauty of the world is is seeing the imperfections and realizing, hey, he's just human. Mm-hmm. You know, he makes mistakes. The, these people that we idolize, Jerry Garcia and his, you know, he was idolized. Yeah. I mean, he was a great guitarist for sure. Bobby was too. Um, but but my student was like, no, I, I like the I like the uh, what do you, yeah I like the uh, the studio tracks. Studio version, yeah. And I'm like, oh God, there's so much beauty missing from it. I mean. I don't, I don't not like the studio version, but it's, to me, I, I, I feel like bad leaders, it's, it's kind of like, I'm starting to Peter Principle, Peter Principle myself here. I, I'm getting to a point where I, I can't speak anymore about examples of, when it comes to, ba- like, I don't like bad leaders, but at the same time, here's another story. Brad Smith, the CEO of Intuit, when I was there, actually became the uh, CEO after I left, he used to tell a story. He would always use 
movie metaphors. And he, he grew up in West Virginia, and his father was the mayor. And uh, his father would, would, you know, do a speech out on the stump of the uh, county courthouse. And he would use the word ain't and use, in, you know, imperfect English. And Brad, he, he always told the story. He'd say, Dad, you know, you're the mayor. You should be using proper English. And, and, and this story stuck with me. It stuck with Brad. And Brad would always share the story. His father told him, son, people want their leaders to be imperfect. They want them to be human. And that's the reason he would use the word ain't, so that he could be perceived as one of them. And granted, you know, we're talking about bad leader, like evil, corrupt. I mean, obviously, that's not the type of humanity we want to see. But, but, but at the same context, you know, that's the reason why bad leaders exist is because we're human. We make mistakes. And, and I think it's, that's the beauty of living life, and that's the complexity of life. Right. Man, that's, uh, yeah, I, I think that's, uh, that's a sufficient answer to that. Because ultimately, what else can you do, right? Like, what, what else, like, what, I don't, I guess what I'm trying to say is, like, there is no alternative to that. Yeah. yeah. We're always going to have bad leaders. Yeah. It's funny you say that about, you know, people valuing imperfections. I saw this thing just this article, this random article where the Canadian president was seen in Toronto or wherever. And he was just wearing like shirt and like button up and jeans. And he was just walking around and just started talking to people like totally like no secret service or anything like that. Uh And so it was just this like kind of beautiful moment of like the relatability aspect of being a leader. And I always thought about that, you know, yeah, just, just knowing, everybody's names and you know being personable obviously he doesn't know everybody's name in that situation but to be able to relate to people yeah and and give that yeah that perspective so yeah yeah we're just we're imperfect creatures some of us a lot more imperfect and i think that's where the bad leadership book kind of ties in is you know right so i have this other question about this and this is this is one that i mentioned in my my exploding thoughts from today, um, kind of the end of bad leadership. So Kellerman talks about this like lingering effect of bad leadership. And I, I mentioned this in class too, about her relating it to the, the medicine example. Mm-hmm. So the way that we cure diseases is we study diseases and then we can make, you know, judgment calls as to, well, I'm not a scientist, but you, you figure out how to cure a disease somehow by studying it Mm -hmm. intensely. And so there's this lingering effect that bad leadership is having, again, according to her, that is cyclical and that these bad followers are following these bad leaders, which is creating this epidemic, right? Like to equate it to the medicine field. So what is the role of a person in stopping this bad leadership and as a follower, um, I don't know. I guess I, I guess I, that, that question is just kind of open-ended, but um, it's more of a statement. But I just struggle with this idea that leadership is so bad that it's, like, become this cyclical epidemic, mm. right? Like, yeah. do you agree with that? Uh, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if I agree totally with it, and maybe you could convince me, but... I'm still, I'm a little lost when you say cyclical. Yeah. Um, 
Well, she was just basically saying that bad followers become bad leaders. Oh, right, yeah. right, right, right. Yeah. So okay. Maybe not cyclical, but it has this. No, effect. compounding effect. Yeah, yeah, compounding yeah. Effect, for yeah. sure. Um, well, I mean, you know, my opinion here. My my big opinion is that the the biggest gaping hole in all of business and industry is a lack of leadership training. And I mean, I just I I don't understand that. Like everybody knows it. Anybody who works in an organization knows leaders. Maybe they don't. I don't know. It, this is Jeremy's opinion. Is everybody I've known says, you know, having a bad leader is the worst thing. It, you know, it, 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 it permeates the organization. It, it, it taints the culture. It creates fear, intimidation, bad role models. And if that's all that we have, going back to the, 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 the medicine example, Barbara says, you know, why is it that we, we study viruses, bacteria, disease, and, and approach that from a scientific method perspective. But then yeah. why are we doing nothing about the bad leadership that we know is an epidemic around the world? Like why, are, why is it like a three to one ratio of, or two to one ratio, I don't know what the balance is, of bad leaders versus good leaders. But I think we can all probably intuitively agree that there's probably more average to bad leaders and there are really great powerful transformational leaders why yeah like it's the same with teachers too that's the other thing I oh my about. god that, that's yeah the other thing i thought about my mom's works in education and i just i look around and i'm like there's one teacher there's a few teachers that everybody has in mind that are like they changed my life they changed the trajectory yeah. of my life we've all had them but then the other 80 percent are yeah, is this like the 80-20 rule or something? Yeah, yeah I just, I, I'm confused. You know, the only thing that comes to my mind right now to explain it is those that are in power don't want to give up power and authority. And if they have it, there's, I don't know, this may kind of sound sick, but if you're a, a corrupt or evil leader, a callous or rigid leader, you don't want good leaders around, right? That's interesting you say that. I never thought about that. It's kind of like, why would I hire someone yeah, who can... Who's honest and has these great principles. And, yeah. yeah. And honestly, I this is just kind of a little pet hypothesis that I'm creating in the moment here. But yeah, I mean, why is it that there isn't more training and development for leaders? Why is there not more emphasis? Why is there no studying... Like, leaders control so many aspects about work life, about politics, about everything. Why are we not studying bad leaders? Why are we not trying to solve this? I mean, it, it's a hard nut to crack for sure. Hmm. But why are we not, why is no one talking about it? I mean, well, actually, if you turn on the news, that's all they talk about. Hmm. Bad leaders. You know, bad leadership makes the news, but... That's, Why is there no study of it? That's interesting that you you equate or like you were you were mentioning that bad leaders don't like good leaders, and I I think that would have been a really good part of Barbara's book because certainly yeah I don't I never even that just totally opened something up I mean it makes sense that 
these callous leaderships or like, you know, certain leaders in particular that are doing things unethically wouldn't want good leaders to be supporting them. Like I even think about like Clinton's example with the the Rwanda, Rwanda genocide. Yeah. genocide, yeah. Like you have to think she, he had a he had a, a council of leaders that were so probably I mean advocating for one thing or another. But yeah. and, and how does that how does that still happen? I don't know. I just I thought that was a good point. You know, I I, I kind of take issue with Barbara's point in the book with with Bill Clinton. I mean, it, it's a perfect example of of what she was saying. Yeah. Of being what was it insular? Yeah, it was uh, just kind of not considering yeah. other. Yeah, it was like neglect. Yeah. 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 But at the same time, I mean, I get it. Like, that was what 25, 20, yeah, about twenty five years ago. You know how different is that now with Syria? You know what American president wants to get involved in any type, like whether it be Ireland, whether it be uh, Syria, whether it be Afghanistan, Afghanistan. Like, yeah. like there's just. There's so much strife and struggle and conflict in the world. I, I, I get why Bill didn't want to get involved in that because yeah. presidents have, you know, George W. Bush, uh, you know, Republicans and Democrats have kind of waded into the waters of global conflicts and it's messy. And, and from a political standpoint, yeah. there you, you it's lose. A lose, lose. It's a lose-lose. Yeah. yeah, it's a lose-lose. But, but, but to Barbara's point, yeah, Bill had a lot of resources. He could have intervened. You know, could have been diplomacy there. I am certainly not intelligent enough to know what could have been done. Yeah. But, but, but I take her point for sure. It's a perfect example. Right. Huh. Well, that's fun. Yeah. That was just. Uh, I feel like that would have been a good part to add into. She never really mentions bad leaders not wanting good leaders around. Like it's in their best interest. I think yeah. she could have mentioned that in the in the chapter twelve. You know, it's it's an empirical question. I don't I don't see. I'm sure somebody out there is asking it and measuring it. They should be. But then again, I mean, if you're asking a bad leader why he or she doesn't want good leaders, are they going to be honest? Yeah. yeah. So I have I have one one other thing back to first break all the rules that I want to kind of get your thoughts on too. Um, you know, when I was doing the podcast for the first two episodes, it was a challenge to kind of break down that entire book in one sentence. So I, I was curious, like, what you would think in that situation. Because it took me 30 minutes. It took me 30 <laughs> minutes to describe the whole book. Yeah. But I was trying to be like, all right, what is the, what is the whole thing right now? Like, if I could just get the, the best part of the steak... Like I, I Are you more. asking me to take a stab at that? Yeah, that's what I'm asking. It's exactly what I'm asking. <laughs> um, this is how you be. This is how you can become as an effective leader as possible with the science. With the science. Yeah, the science, because a lot of what Gallup. Yeah, the Gallup. The research. Gallup polls, what they, you know, it. it as much as you can put validity and reliability on social sciences, that book, as far as I'm concerned, I'm sure there's others out there, that, <clears throat> that book was able to clearly articulate, here are the most important things that managers do. 
that great managers do. And here's the science that backs it. And, and I'm, I'm like on our walk up here to my office to have this conversation, just like I told you there. Why is it that this is what's so confounding to me? How can we have, like there's so many books out there on leadership and management and. Yeah, there's a thousand. And yeah. One. yeah. But how is it that this book isn't more prevalent if it uses science to basically say, here are the 12 most important behaviors that you as a leader can do, statistically, you know, statistics and science shows these are the most important 12 factors for employees, just knock the ball out of the park on these six or 12 things, and you will be perceived as a above average manager. Mm-hmm. And again, this maybe it makes perfect sense why bad leadership isn't as prominent to me. But I, I, I have to agree yeah. with you that I don't I don't understand either. Because I look at bad leadership and I think it is Kellerman even mentions this. Like it's it's not an easy subject to it's not to be critical of people, right? Like I think it's an interesting idea that she does there. Like the whole book is people suck in in corporate America and you should read this and here's kind of what this, the outline of this is, but all right, Matt, I'm going to ping pong it back to you and say, okay, Matt, after reading our bad leadership book, if you had to summarize that book in one sentence, how would you, how would you describe that book? If you had to summarize it in one sentence, take your time. Yeah. Callous and temperate. Uh, Just list off all of them now. Um, this is my my evil plot to get back at Matt for asking me questions I didn't know were coming. I'm going to ask him one that he doesn't know is coming. You know, I have to say, too, that I think this one is, is more difficult. to. I think it is. Yeah. But if I had to do it, I would say something along the lines of, here are, here are the reasons... Here are the central reasons why people act the way in the in the ways that they do in corporate America, and the negative implications of that. I think that's fair. Yeah, especially the negative implication part. Cause she kind of really she gets into that. Like that's like the web part of it, you know. Right. And and she talks about that in chapter twelve. You know, I I, I my major takeaway from this book. And, and one that I, I think I'm just going to harp on about. I'm sure you're tired of hearing me say this. But so, and this ties back to a point we were talking about earlier. We like things that are nice, neat, and tidy. And once you start talking about the, the role and relationship of followers, you might say, oh, don't blame the victims. Uh, and then you get into the complexities of the context in which a bad leader exists once you once you look at that web of accountability like how how can you isolate using the the medicine example how can you isolate what is it that makes a bad leader is it the followers yes is it the context yes is it the leader yes like how do you like that's a huge web hmm. where do you start like ha- maybe that's why we haven't studied bad leaders is because it's just it's it's too dynamic. It's it's impossible to predict. 
Yeah. So I, this and opportunity. Yeah. <laughs> I, I harp on about if if you have the opportunity, and maybe this goes back to your convenient statement. If it's convenient and you have the opportunity to to take that straight line, you got to be a very moral person to not do it. Yeah. So this is kind of the. I think we can kind of wrap up with this kind of idea, but I'm interested. And I'm so grateful, I, I will also say, too, that I picked this to do my capstone class. I mean, I think it really fits into what I was trying to accomplish in talking about an internship and and those greater implications of leadership. Um, but I'm curious, like, out of the years that you've in, been in this line of work, what is, like, the most important piece of advice you could give an intern? Or someone who's about to start their life. Ooh, that's a I, dense question. Too. Yeah, you can take your time on that one. Um, because we asked. It's funny. I, I mentioned this on my other podcast, Blue Tees podcast, but we asked Len the same thing, and Len had a pretty interesting answer. Okay, I think I got my answer. I'm. I'm I'd love to hear what Len said. My answer is four. No, I'm sorry. Isn't that an hitchhiker guide? Hitchhiker guide. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. For yeah. the answer the, to the age old. Okay, sorry. Uh, all kidding aside, my advice or thoughts to someone about to pursue an internship, about to start their professional life, there is no wrong path. There is no wrong path. Hmm. Whatever all the the multitude of tiny and large decisions that you make throughout your life will lead you to where you need to be. All the bad decisions you make, all the good decisions. I, I, I feel like people your age, and I'm just generally, and this is probably true of anybody in any generation, certainly of mine too, there's this anticipation of what's it going to be like? What's my life going to be like? What can I expect? I want to make the right decisions. And, and I see this in students' responses on exams. It's like there's a right and a wrong. And I'm like, no, there isn't. So much of life is relative. And whatever decisions you make based on your experiences, those are the right ones in that moment. There is no wrong path. Unless, of course, you end up in the mafia. Yeah. Then I, nice. or, or a rock band. That may be the wrong decision. But um, <laughs> I, I just, you will learn, you will have positive experiences and negative experiences and anything and everything you do and those will shape and mold you into the man or woman that you want to be and that you're proud of when you reach your 30s, 40s, 50s and by the time you retire. There's no wrong path. No wrong path. There's no wrong path. You want to hear what Lynn said? Yeah, what, what did Lynn say? At least it, <laughs> I, might have, I, I might have taken this like completely the sideways from what he actually said. But what I got from talking to him was do the job that you like, I, I, I forget how he said it, but it was like, work the job that you, um, that you want to do work the, or like do the job that you, um, I don't know how he said it actually, but it was kind of like along the lines of like, uh, put yourself in the positions to do the things that you want to do in, in your workplace. So I, I was just, it's I not was bad advice. Like, yeah. But, but how do you know that though? Yeah, that's true. Like I, I was about to say that that could go back to like the filter. Like, right. You need to know that. Right. Or in order 
do that. But. You know, I graduated college thinking I wanted to be in the outdoor recreation industry. And I went to work for REI for a while and realized that it wasn't the right culture for me. And uh, I moved on. Uh, but I learned from it. You learn from everything. And I think this also goes back to first break all the rules. I think your goal in life should be to, over a lifetime, discover who you are and who you want to be. And I think, and again, I go back to, there's no wrong path. No wrong path. You guys heard it first. <laughs> right here from Jeremy Brees. Well, uh, I think we're wrapping up on almost 50 minutes. Do you want to you wanna call it a Yeah, let's call it a podcast. Let's call it a ball. Yeah, this is kind of a, a great length. So, well, anyway, um, we just want to say thanks to the listeners and uh, – and what's such a great time I've had here with Jeremy. So thanks for joining me, bud. Thanks for having me. All right.